What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Oasis Podcast. Oasis is the college and young adult ministry at Park West Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Come hang out with us if you're ever in the area on a Thursday night. We'd love to meet you face to face. If you don't already, make sure you follow us on social media at Oasis PWC to stay updated with everything going on here with the Oasis family. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. Let's jump in. One more time. Are you ready for the word? Amen. If you've got your Bibles with you, go to the book of Joshua. I've got Pastor Joshua in the back of the room tonight. I promise I didn't mean to preach to him tonight, but um, maybe we are. The book of Joshua, chapter 3, it will be on the screen. Go ahead and stand to your feet for the reading of the word tonight. I feel that powerful about where we're going. Joshua, chapter 3. I'm going to jump around a little bit. In verse 5 of Joshua, chapter 3, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. One more time, because it's just good. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Among you. I'm going to go back to Joshua chapter 1 as well, if you got it. In verse 5, it says, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Turn to your neighbor and say, Be strong. Be strong strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors. Tonight, I want to preach a message titled Stuck. Turn to your neighbor and say, Stuck. Stuck. No, like you get, you're excited you get to be part of the group tonight. Say, Stuck. Stuck. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it will not return to you void. God, thank you that you have something in store for tonight. God, I ask that you will touch the heart of the member that has been here for a long time. Lord, that has got used to Thursday nights. I ask that you will touch their heart and mind tonight, that tonight would be something special. God, for the one that's here for the first time, I ask that you will bring peace over their heart right now to know that they're here, they belong here. Welcome to the family. That this is a place where we can encounter the love of God with people that love God and love each other. So Lord, I ask that that vision would come into fruition tonight, that this would be a place where we can taste and see that the Lord is good, that this would be an oasis for every individual in the room, regardless of what walk of life they are in. God, we thank you for what you have in store for tonight, and we declare that Jesus is Lord over this house. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. How many of you have ever been stuck before? I know we're in East Tennessee, and some of y'all are more hick than I am, and you're out mudding on the weekends, okay? That's not me. More power to you. That's just not me. We were homeschooled growing up. We didn't. We never had like four wheelers and that kind of thing. Like we played basketball in the driveway and we thought that was cool and it wasn't. I played in upward and it was bad. But last year we had the craziest stuck situation that I've maybe ever had. I guess really I should say a little over a year ago because it was Christmas Eve of 2020. And as soon as I say 2020, everybody's like, oh no, like automatic like oh it was dark days (laughs) the days of old of 2020 right in 2020 we had our first married Christmas Livy and I got married in May of that year my girl and uh so we had been married six months 
and Christmas came around and we were so ready for our first married Christmas. And it was kind of special because with COVID and all the things that were going around, we didn't have quite as many family stops to make. So on Christmas Eve, we went and spent some time with her parents and her siblings and got to hang out with them. And then on Christmas Day, we were going to get up and go hang out with both families and just kind of make a whole day out of it. Well, as some of you prayed for, it snowed Christmas Eve. And now it's like, oh, well, you know, Christmas 2020 was all right. Like, it, it wasn't all that bad. We actually had a white Christmas. It was great, except for Christmas Eve night. We go to my in-laws and we open stockings, hang out, play games, all the wonderful things. And then we decide we're going to go on and go home and have our Christmas morning together. Well, Christmas Eve, my father-in-law had this incredible idea that I should drive his car because it's four-wheel drive. And I was like, yeah, that's great. And again, I'm new, I'm, we're newly married. I'm not about to tell my father-in-law no. I'm like, sir, yes, sir. I will take care of your daughter. We will drive your fancy car. We will get home in the snow. Like, that's where my head is at. We get five minutes away from the house. I kid you not. It's like 10, 30, 11 o'clock Christmas Eve night. We barely get on the interstate. We go up the on-ramp into the lane, and I realize that something is not okay with this car. It won't shift gears. I'm way up right in the RPM in this car. Something is bad wrong. And then I finally come to a stop and the car won't start. I'm like, oh, this door. And again, we've been married like five and a half months. I'm like, I, do you know how to fix it? I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> I know I'm like the man of the house and the priest of the home and all this stuff. But baby, I ain't, I ain't no mechanic. Like we, we in trouble, babe. So we mess with everybody. It's okay. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. Lord. Hand is on the dash. I'm like, in the name, this, you will live and not die, saith the Lord, is where my head is at. I'm like, my father-in-law, let me drive this car. I've been in it five minutes, and I killed it dead. I was going through my head. I'm like, I do not want to have to call Paul right now. I had to. There was no coming back. I called my father-in-law. He's like, you're kidding. I said, no, we, we stuck. He said, you're kidding. I'm like, no, we're stuck, and it's cold. And 2020 has just been a year that keeps giving. I won't go home and open presents with my wife. I ain't, we ain't doing this. Praise God, he came and got us. He drove us the rest of the way home. We were fine. Christmas went on. It was totally fine. I kid you not, his car sat there for a week because it was dead, dead. He hadn't used that four-wheel drive in a hot minute and the car was pretty old and the transmission was like, nah, we done. He does not have it anymore. Somebody, I, they don't live in a rough, rough part of town, but it's not the best part of town. And apparently it was bad enough part of town to where they literally parted his car. By the time he came and got it, parts were missing like crazy off the car that was sitting on the interstate. Praise the Lord. God blessed him. He got him a new truck and it is fantastic. But we were completely stuck on Christmas Eve. It was the worst feeling ever. We were so excited about what was about to happen and then we hit this massive issue right before we could get there. That's where the Israelites are in this passage of scripture in Joshua. The context for this, if you want to go ahead and get back to Joshua chapter one, we're going to be hanging out in the first three chapters of so of Joshua. The context here, um, God raises up this man named Moses. If you know the name, he's a big deal in the Christian world. God raises him up because God's people, the Israelites, are slaves in Egypt. So Moses comes along, God uses him to set his people free, and then they wander around in the desert for 40 years because they just did not live the way that God had intended for them to live. A whole bunch of stuff goes down. At this point in history, the promises that have been there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that the Israelites would enter into this specific territory, 
God had promised the promised land. Even if you've not been in church long, you've probably heard that term, the the promised land. Well, this is where it came from. God told the Israelites, there is a place for you that is your land that I have promised to you that flows with milk and honey that is a blessing for you and for your family and your children and your children's children. And they've been waiting for years and years and years. So they get free from Egypt, but then they go in the desert. And because they would not live in relationship with God, they weren't allowed to go into the promised land. Well, then Moses passes away. And when Moses passes away, God raises up this man named Joshua. And that's where we land in Joshua chapter one. In verse five, he tells him, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. This is the Lord speaking to Joshua. He said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors. Here's why this is so pivotally important. They have this moment of, oh my goodness, this is it. The old guy's gone, things have transitioned, and now that roadblock that was there is gone, and they finally get to go into the promised land. There's one big problem. There's a massive river between them and the promised land. That's not metaphorical. Literally, the Jordan River is between them and where they're supposed to go. If you do some research, you can find now the Jordan River is not all that big, but in biblical times, it was up to 100 feet wide and 10 feet deep. And you've got to think. Some of y'all that are swimmers in the room, you're like, oh, that, we could handle it. It's not that big of a deal. No, 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 no. There are thousands and thousands of men in this group. And then women and children and all their livestock and everything they own and they ain't got a boat. <laughs> How are they supposed to get these thousands of people across the water into where they need to go? This situation has finally come into fruition where they're going to get to go into the promised land and they're stuck. They can't get there. How many of you have ever been in a position where you feel like you're finally breaking free from the nonsense and then it's like it's just not happening? It's almost more frustrating than when you're stuck in the nonsense. When you're here and you're just pleading like, Lord, please get me free from X, Y, and Z. Please get me where you want to go. Please, please bring clarity for the future. It's like, oh, okay. Well, now we're finally here. And it's like, oh, I know where things are happening. God is so good. God's moving. Things are happening. Why won't it happen? Like, why can't it fall into place? Proverbs says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. There's something so awful about being stuck. But the first thing that God says to Joshua, this new guy that is now in charge to lead these people, is I will be with you like I was with Moses. So Joshua, who is now in charge, standing here looking at this big old river and these thousands of people behind him that he's now in charge of, trying to figure out how they're about to build an ark or a really big bridge. And the Lord says, no, be strong and take courage because I'm going to be with you like I was with Moses. You've got to understand how big of a statement that is. Moses was the guy that God gave the Ten Commandments to. Moses is the one that stood at the Red Sea with a staff and it went poof and parted and all of them rolled through the river. Moses is the guy that walked into Pharaoh's office and said, let my people go, and his staff turned into a snake to prove that it was God that had sent him. 
He did the same thing with the same staff. He put it in some water and it turned a whole lake into blood. God showed up over and over and over and over and over for Moses. I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe you grew up in a different place than me, a different life than me, but I'd be willing to bet, or at least I would hope that now you have somebody that you look to and you go, man, they know God. Like they, they've walked with God. For me, it was my parents, a handful of people here at the church that have been that for me. And I've looked at their life and I've been like, my goodness, they pray and stuff happens. If y'all don't know Don McGinnis, oh my word. If you don't know my mother-in-law, Charity Harris, oh my word. They're like that. It's like them and Jesus, they just right here all day, all the time. And they pray and stuff happens. And they pray and they can hear the Lord talk to them. To Joshua, Moses was his spiritual father. Joshua had spent all this time with Moses. He'd watch Moses go and pray and come back and then manna fall from the sky. He'd watch Moses go to prayer on behalf of the Israelites and things happen. So when God says, I'll be with you like I was with him, you got to realize how deep that hits. That's like God saying to me, no, 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 no. I'm going to answer your prayers like I've answered Mama Dawn's prayers. There's a weight to that. There's a handful of things I want you to hear tonight. But I want to start with the God that you serve is the same God from then. The God of Moses is the God of Ryan, the God of Caleb, the God of Trevor. And right where you are right now, if you walked in here going, man, I'm stuck, your prayers matter as much to God as Moses's and as Joshua. Now, here's what's crazy. Joshua standing here looking at this big old river with this whole situation. God gives him a promise. I will be with you. But then he gives him direction. Woo, I love this. Man, I love this so much. He looks at Joshua and he tells him to pick up the Ark of the Covenant, to have them pick up the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to get in in just a minute. I'm going to explain what this is. But he says, I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant, put it in the front of the whole nation, and I want you to have them walk it into the river. You can go look it up. It's super cool in Joshua chapter three. He has them walk right into the river. He tells them when their feet get in the water, it's going to part. So again, here Joshua is just now in charge for the first time. And he's got to come to all these people saying, no, nah, no, nah, it's all right. Just start walking. God will take care. It's good. <laughs> it's good. It's good. I don't know what's about to happen, but it's good. And they do exactly that. These guys pick up the Ark of the Covenant, which they had to be very intentional to do. And the pole bearers carry the Ark of the Covenant right into the water. And it happens exactly like he said it was going to happen. The water just poof, parts. And immediately Joshua gets to see what God had just said, that God would be with him like he was with Moses. Because, I mean, right out the gate, the same miracle happens that set the Israelites free from Egypt a couple hundred or 40, 50 years ago. But what's incredible is what the Ark of the Covenant represents. So my note takers in the room, the Lord tells Joshua to put the Ark of the Covenant at the front of the group and to walk it into the river. The Ark of the Covenant represents God's history with the Israelites. What was inside the Ark of the Covenant is key. It had three main things. It had Aaron's staff, 
that Moses used to perform those miracles. It had the Ten Commandments, and it had a golden bowl for manna. Here's what, this is so good. I'm telling you, I was reading it this week, and I was like, my goodness. Aaron's staff, I mentioned it a second ago, but God turned it into a snake in a moment to perform a miracle for everybody there. God used it to be a sign to split the waters to get them into freedom as a miracle. That staff represents God's hand of miracle for the Israelites. It represents all the times that God stepped in and said, yeah, but I am God. And I know all of this, yeah, 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 but I am God. I can do miracles. The Ten Commandments represent God's guidance. For so many of us, especially in 2022, it don't preach all that good. But you've got to understand the Ten Commandments, the laws, quote unquote, in this scripture, that was never intended to be something awful that we just had to live this awful religious lifestyle. That's not what this is saying. God sets his people free from this captivity in Egypt and he brings them into the desert and they're trying to figure out how to be believers. And God says, you know what? Don't kill each other. It's probably not smart. Don't lie to each other. That's not how I created you to live. Don't live in sin. Don't do these. The Ten Commandments were God's guidance and are God's guidance for how to live the life he created us to live. So then you look at the golden bowl. When they were in the desert, they've got a huge problem. There's thousands of them and nothing to eat. And God literally made manna fall from the sky. So you have this golden bowl in the ark that's a representation of God's provision. So all encapsulated in this incredible ark is proof of God's miracle hand, of God's provision, and God's guidance. And he says, if you're gonna go do this, you need to take those things, the history and the remembrance of my hand, handiwork and put it right here in front of you. Remember what I've done. Remember that I've always come through because if I did it for Moses, I can do it for you and you have this proof of my hand. So if you're pulling up here, if you're stuck and you're trying to figure out where to go, this story represents that the first thing you better do is you better remember that his track record is perfect. A plus plus all the way around. The Bible says it. I once was young and now I'm old and never have I seen the righteous forsaken or their children have to beg for bread. God is faithful. Second Corinthians says to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When you're in this position and you don't know what to do, and it's like, man, thank God I'm not where I was, but I'm definitely not where he's promised I'm supposed to be. You need to remember he can be with you just like he was then. And you need to remember back that you, man, I, had, I heard a pastor say this a couple weeks ago. He said, you know, you've survived 100% of your worst days. He has not left you yet. His track record is great. And sometimes in those moments where everything just seems so shaky and seems all over the place, you've got to remember, nah, he's good and he's faithful and he's going to continue to be good and continue to be faithful. The Ark of the Covenant represents God's history of faithfulness with the disciples. It also represents God's glory. You see, the, art, the articles that were inside and the, the presence that God put around the Ark of the Covenant was so intense that if they touched the Ark directly, it would kill them. So they had these massive poles that they'd have to run by it 
because they had to be super careful when they carried it because the glory of God was so intensely around it. This Ark of the Covenant was so immensely holy because of all the things that were in it and the anointing that God had put on it. As time goes on, spoiler alert, the Israelites do figure out a way to get across, right? Because God does part the waters. They get over there. God starts blessing their family and their nation and they grow and they grow and they grow and God gives them city after city after city after city. They win all these battles and God, until eventually they decide that they want a king to be there. And later on, you read through it, God gives them Saul as their first king and then King David. And most of us have heard or know about David that killed Goliath, that famous David. You know, one of the first things that King David does when he's put in position as king, he says, where's the Ark of the Covenant? Bring it back to the capital city. Why? Because the glory of God was in it. It's crazy. You can find all these places in the Old Testament where when the enemy would come take over Israel, and that only happened when the Israelites weren't living for God, by the way, because God is a covenant God. He's not manipulative, that's not how it is. But when you're living in his house, and you're operating the way that he would have you operate, you see wild blessing happen. And when you step outside of that, you're outside the covering. So they would get outside the covering, and enemies would come along, and all of a sudden they couldn't win the battles anymore. And when that would happen, the bad people would have to figure out what to do with the Ark of the Covenant because it started making everybody sick. The glory of God couldn't operate in a place where all this sin and idolatry and nonsense was happening. So you had the, whatever city that the Ark of the Covenant would end up in, if they weren't living for the Lord, it literally would make them sick and all kinds of drama would happen. But when it was in the house of the Lord, when the Ark of the Covenant was in the front of the nation, miracles happened. And they just kept winning wars. It's throughout the Old Testament, battle after battle and war after war that they had no business winning. They would put the worshipers and the Ark of the Covenant up front and somehow they would win. So God knew then for Joshua what David would know then later on, that if we're gonna get across the water, we have to have the glory of God. If you are stuck, you are not going to get unstuck without the glory of God. And I'm telling you, I've seen it time and time and time and time again. There is an anointing on therapists and counselors, and I'm 100% behind you going and seeing somebody. Been there, done that. Don't mishear me. God will bless and anoint that. But there is a freedom that only he can bring. And we do everything we know to do in the natural. But if you want to be free, it's the glory of God that can do that. Because we're stuck. We may not be where we were, but we can't get to the promised land without the glory of God. If my father-in-law hadn't come picked us up, it was a long, cold walk trying to get back to the condo for Christmas night. But all I had to do was make a phone call humble myself and make a phone call. The Ark of the Covenant represents God's faithfulness, but it represents the glory of God. And hear me, that's one of the reasons why we worship. Because the Bible says that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. 
If you've ever been, it's so crazy. You may have felt it tonight. You could have been around the craziest people today and it just been drama and been all of that. But when worship started, it may not have even felt good because there may be gross stuff in here. It's real, it happens. You have a bad day, life just ain't going the way it needs to and you walk in and it's like, <sighs> but it's because of what I said. When the glory of God moves in, it either brings blessing or it brings stuff to the surface. But when worship happens, you can feel the presence of God show up. I have learned in, in the, the years that I've been able to lead worship, it has very little to do with talent. It has very little to do with the sound. It is all about the glory of God. And he is just faithful to show up. It's nothing we do. There's no special formula. It's not anything about it. No, we come in and we go, God, you're so good. And he goes, and you can feel it. That's why we're going to continue to worship. So I want to encourage you, if you're stuck tonight, if you're in limbo tonight, you need to look back at his track record and put that right here. Yeah, I know it's real. I know there's stuff going on. I know not everything feels great right now. I get it. I get it. But he's still God. And he's the same God for you that he was for Joshua, that he was for Moses, that he is for me. So God, yeah, you haven't, I've, I have survived 100% of my worst days and that's simply because you've had a hold of my hand the entire time. So you remind yourself how good God is and then you worship him. It doesn't matter how it feels. Because then the glory of God shows up and you can watch the waters part. And it's like, man, the anxiety that was there, it's not there the same way. The family drama might still be there, but you might sleep at night. Can you feel it in the room? When the Bible says that he's enthroned on the praises of his people, that's not necessarily saying musically. So when somebody stands and declares the goodness of God, you can feel it in the room. It may not be proper preaching etiquette, but um, eyes closed across the room. That glory of God is in the room. And I'm not, I'm not willing to rush to make a sermon point and skip past an opportunity for somebody to take a deep breath and feel some peace. When the Israelites were in Egypt, they were slaves. A lot of drama went down. They would have been building and working for Pharaoh in his house. <laughs> if you go back and watch all the animated movies, they were beaten and pushed around and spit at and 
and they definitely did not feel like they were God's people, like they were being taken care of. And with nobody looking around, the, the thing about that is they got out of Egypt, but then they had to wait in the wilderness for 40 years. And they had an opportunity to feel that God had moved on their behalf, that God was taking care of them, that things were going to be okay. But I can't help but wonder if they remembered what it had been like in Egypt. And I just, I feel it in my heart tonight. If you're here and you're stuck trying to figure out how to get across the Jordan River, but your mind is stuck in all the awful things that happened to you in Egypt, there's healing for you tonight. Not from anything I could do or say, but the glory of God that's in the room. And so with eyes closed and nobody looking around, if you'd say, I've, I've had some stuff happen, and... Um, And I need healing in a way that um, counseling may not be able to bring. I'm telling you, nobody looking around. This is just between you and the Lord. If you feel that peace in the room and you're going, God, I don't, I don't know what this looks like, but I need whatever healing you can give me. If that's you, will you throw a hand up for me? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we need you, Lord. If you lifted your hand, I just want to encourage you to lift it again and leave it up. God, we give you the hurt. God, we give you the heartache and the anxiety and all the bondage that has come along with the things that have happened. Whether it was our bad decisions that caused it or things that we just had no control over. God, I thank you that you are not okay with us physically being out of Egypt but mentally still being there. So I ask that you will bring a supernatural healing over mental states in the room tonight. That any PTSD from trauma and abuse would be rebuked in Jesus' name. That the lies and the attack of the enemy would not have a place in the hearts and minds of these individuals. How we sang it earlier, but they are already loved more than they know. And I ask tonight that you would give them an ability to see and feel how loved they are. God, for the, the rough dating relationships and the awful family dynamics and the abuse that have taken place, I rebuke the things that they've stolen. For those that have a hard time seeing God as a loving father because of the drama that has gone down, I bind and rebuke the lies and attack of the enemy in Jesus' name. I thank you that in one moment, you can do the impossible. 
So do more than man could do in a hundred years right now in this moment, Holy Spirit, that the glory of God would heal hearts and minds right now in Jesus' name. That we would be able to receive the love that you have for us the way you intend it without any restriction or hoops to jump through. So Lord, with our hands lifted high, we say this is yours. Open hand, we ask that you take it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Okay, everybody look at me. What's incredible about this story is uh, they get across the water in Joshua chapter three. In Joshua chapter four, Joshua goes back and prays and the Lord says, hey, there are 12 tribes in this group. I want you to go get 12 stones from the Jordan River and I want you to set up a memorial. So they go and I'm assuming they were probably bigger than these little guys. (laughs) But they go and they get 12 stones and he says, I want you to put them together as a remembrance of all that I've done so that you will never forget. So you'll never forget that it was the glory of God that got you here. That your children and their children can remember that God shows up, that God is faithful to take care of his kids. So tonight we've got a Stones of Remembrance box in the back, and I want to encourage you, grab one on the way out. Put it in your pocket. Put it on your desk at work or carry it around with you. Put it on your mantle at home. Because this represents that he is with you just like he was with Moses. That he's been with you this far and he's going to continue to be with you. And that the glory of God can part waters. God, I thank you for what you've done tonight. I thank you that you did more in a 30-second prayer than a counselor could do in 10 years. So I ask that you will seal it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you're here tonight and you'd say, Pastor Caleb, I am. I don't know that I ever got out of Egypt. In fact, I don't know that I've given my life to Jesus. And listen, here's how this thing works. We lay down our crown and he washes every sin away. We humble ourselves enough to say, you know what? I may not have this whole thing figured out. And we ask for his help. And it's the craziest exchange in history. Because the Bible says that God loved the world so much that he sent his son to live a sinless life, to die on a cross for you, for you. So if you're here tonight and, and you've not accepted Jesus, or you have, but you've been living a completely different way, and tonight you want to say, I need this exchange. I need this kind of God helping me deal with things. With nobody looking around, if that's you, will you throw a hand up? Amen.
for that one in the room, for the two in the room. I ask right now that you will step into their lives. By throwing that hand up, we say, Lord, we need you. And we declare that you are Lord and Savior. So God, I ask that as we seal tonight, as we move on, as as different as this night has been, God, I ask that you will stir such a sense of family in the room, that the one that's struggling can be honest, that we can help each other link arms and see the river part to walk into the season you've called us to live in. God, I speak favor and blessing over every individual in the room and the families that they represent. I rebuke the lie and attack of the enemy that all anxiety, fear, depression, thoughts of suicide has to be rebuked and has to bow at the name of Jesus. That there would be a better night's sleep for many of these individuals than they've had in a long time in Jesus' name. God, I ask that you will be a provider, that you will be Jireh like we talked about, God. You'll be everything we need. God, I love you. I thank you. I praise you. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen.